As you've no doubt heard, the state of Florida has just suffered a major storm. Hurricane Ian ravaged a significant part of the state. Unfortunately for me, where I live in South Florida, it didn't really do. It didn't really have much of an effect. Um, major, minor gusts of wind, lots of rain, but nothing more than that. But other parts of the state, particularly on the West Coast, Fort Myers, it was catastrophic. Now I don't want to belabor the analogy too much. But we've seen something similar happen across global financial markets and the monetary system during this year. We've seen two hurricane level storms hit commodities, bond curves, stocks, obviously the US dollar exchange value. And we're starting to get all those warning signs, those unfamiliar queasy warning signs that maybe a third storm is upon us. Not just in Britain, the pound and gilt markets, but also US dollar money market signals that are telling us, buckle up, prepare, bundle up, batten down the hatches, whatever you gotta do, because something's, something's going on here. And it's something that we've seen before. Now I'm Jeff, this is Eurodollar University. Today we're gonna talk about money warnings, deflationary outbreaks, things like that. We're gonna use measures such as SOFR, we're gonna go into T-bills, as well as inflation expectations and a few other things along the way. But let's start with a little bit of review of this year so far. Now you might remember April, or excuse me, February and March, a lot happened during that period of time, of course, late February, Russian forces invaded Ukraine, sending oil prices shockingly high up into 120 some dollars a barrel, gasoline prices worldwide, food prices have skyrocketed, essentially an oil price shock. But we also saw even before all that happened, maybe markets understood what was gonna happen or what was gonna take place in the, the Ukrainian theater, or maybe it was unrelated, but for whatever reasons, late February, we started to see warning signs. And even before then, in, in terms of just background economic condition, at the time, everybody thought the, the economy was doing really well. In fact, too well. It was in need of cooling down because it was so red hot and inflationary when you know, Euro dollar futures curves going back to December of 2021 had inverted. Swap spreads began to compress when they should have been decompressing, especially for a rate hike regime. So even before we got to February and March of this year, there were already some really serious warning signs, but they didn't really, they hadn't really gotten that far, which is not, not all unusual in the process of deflationary outbreaks. But then February and March, for whatever specific reasons, there were a lot of them at that time, we saw things just get chaotic, disorderly, because I mean, that's what you would expect to see when oil prices go up, the economy gets shaken, um, curves are already in rough shape to begin with. And so we saw, you know, treasury bills. There was an enormous bid for treasury bills way over and above what their quote unquote should have been, given where other alternative money market rates, including the Federal Reserve's programs for something like the reverse repo, there was just waste, way too much demand for especially treasury bills, which as we know, pristine collateral. Pristine collateral meaning that's why there was there was the demand for the, these instruments because the market was short of the best quality collateral because we can infer from that, or what we can infer from that, is that other lower quality forms of collateral were not, were being 
or not being accepted on the same terms as they had before, hurting more and more of the marketplace into the best of the best of the best. Therefore, treasury bill prices skyrocketed, which means treasury bill yields fell. And because they fell so far below the reverse repo, the only conclusion you can draw is that it must be collateral because why else would you invest in something like a four-week treasury bill that yields you so much less then you could get completely risk-free at the Federal Reserve's overnight repo, uh, reverse repo program, which is, oh, by the way, collateralized by U.S. Treasury securities. So the only reason you would ever buy a Treasury bill that yields so much less than something like reverse repo, if you can't get into reverse repo, there are other alternatives, of course, which we'll get into in a minute, but really it's because of the collateral. But the, the four-week treasury bill and the eight-week treasury bill to a certain extent too, these were not the only rates that were so far below their, their uh, federal funds equivalents and other alternative equivalents. We actually started to see SOFR rates, S-O-F-R, the uh, Fed's amalgamation that's supposed to replace LIBOR, which that's another topic I've gotten into before. But by, you know, by and large, SOFR is a repo rate, GC repo rate. So it's tied to real-world transactions in the repo market. And you say to yourself, why would repo rates start to fall? In fact, SOFA rate actually fell below the reverse repo rate, which most people shrug off as either, well, that's some friction, not everybody's eligible, not everybody signed up for the RRP program, or more commonly you hear, well, there's just too much money. But there's another reason repo rates would fall. And we saw this in 2007 and 2008. Repo rates were not falling because there was an overabundance of bank reserves. The bank reserves didn't happen until after Lehman. Yet repo rates were weak or low. Weak, probably not the right term. They were low from 2007 into 2008, persistently low. And the reason is because if you have more cash lenders, then you have borrowers with acceptable collateral that the cash lenders will lend on then the cash lenders are forced to lend to a smaller and smaller pool of lender or borrowers. And if you have a smaller and smaller pool of borrowers, what do you have to do? It looks like there's too much money, but it's in actuality there are too few borrowers, borrowers because the borrowers don't have the right collateral. And the reason they don't have the right collateral is because yesterday or the day before, they were using lower quality instruments probably in a transformation leg before going into the repo market that have suddenly been revalued, haircuts readjusted. They can't use the lower quality stuff anymore, which means they're being pushed and shoved out of the repo market. So you have cash lenders who also are becoming more fickle, only choosing the best quality of collateral. If you've got cash and you've got to lend it somewhere, you lower the, accept the, the, the return that you're willing to accept on your cash because you're only willing to lend to a smaller segment of the market that has collateral. So repo rates can fall because there aren't enough borrowers with the right collateral. So as we saw T-bill rate, rates fall and T-bill yield, yields fall rates and T-bill prices skyrocket in this February into March window, we also saw, we also saw, say that five times fast, saw sulfur. We saw sulfur drop below the RRP. Again, most people dismissed it too much money or that's frictions, but it was coincident to the to the negative spread in T-bill rates, which suggested, as I say, collateral. 
And that wasn't the only thing. We saw all sorts of things then happen across March, including our first whiff of inversion in the U.S. Treasury yield curve, which happened a couple weeks later. So we had a storm erupt, a deflationary hurricane hit the marketplace in late February, whose damage lasted into March and even into the end of April. This all then repeated. Of course, that's the way markets go. There's ebbs and flows. There's fluctuation. As I always say, nothing ever goes in a straight line. So there was a period in between, an interim. Um, you had April and May where things maybe seemed to get a little bit better. Um, the economy maybe was uh, questionable, but not yet uh, really showing signs of recession or slowdown or things like that. And then you get into May and really the beginning of June, and we started to see it all over again. We started to see these same warnings creep in. Treasury bill yields too low compared to where they should be given rate hikes and RRP acting as it's supposed to as a floor. We also saw GC repo rates, SOFR rates start to soften a little bit. And so these, these negative spreads to RRP indicating on the one hand directly treasury bill rates lack of collateral. On the other hand, SOFR rates, not enough borrowers with collateral. So you got that, that the, the warning signs that a second deflationary hurricane was erupting. And of course it did. Mid-June, commodities crashed, the yield curves crashed, the euro dollar futures inversion went nuclear, any number of things, the dollar spiked, all sorts of, uh, of evidence for another deflationary wave or another deflationary storm that hit the system, the global system, mid-June into July. Now, here we are in September, late September. We've already seen some of these, uh, some of the symptoms of something going on. Of course, we've been talking about the UK, British pound, other currencies, CNY, the Indian rupee breaking below its floor, all sorts of other sort of things around the edges. but. Not directly, or at least uh, not in the mainstream consciousness, not directly U.S. dollar problems. Although in the last few days, the last week or so, yeah, we've seen the same warning signs. They've happened again. They've popped up again. Treasury bill rates, ridiculously low. Uh, what was it? Uh, the day before yesterday, so that would have been Wednesday. Today is the 30th, so Wednesday the 28th. Uh, the four-week Treasury bill was down to 263 and RRP, as you recall, is 305. That's an enormous spread. That's an enormous premium being paid for the best quality collateral. Enormous. That's a bad sign. Um, the four-week bill was 278 yesterday. It's, it's again down a little bit today. So way below RRP. Massive shortfall of collateral. And guess what? Same thing in SOFR. The SOFR rate the last couple days, so Wednesday and then Tuesday, Tuesday, Wednesday, had been 2.98%. Again, uh, RRP is 305. So that's seven basis points below RRP. Now, could that be too much money? Well, the Fed is doing QT. They're cutting back. Bank reserves are falling. Where is this too much money stuff coming from? It's not. It's lack of collateral. The cash lenders that are in repo are are having a difficult time finding sufficient borrowers with the right white collateral that they'll accept on the terms that they'll accept, which means the cash lenders are accepting lower and lower and lower returns to lend to uh, fewer and fewer borrowers. And today, or yesterday, excuse me, which was the 29th, now we have to consider, you know, we're getting into quarter end, there's always window dressing involved, but still, 
with the SOFR rate at 298 on Wednesday, and then Thursday the 29th, the SOFR rate dropped two more basis points to 296. So nine basis points below RRP. End of quarter is always a little illiquid anyway, but you put all of these things together, it suggests what I said, what I said before, the outlines of maybe a third deflationary outbreak, a third hurricane warning heading into the fourth quarter of 2022. And that's not all. We've got more. Uh, in addition to SOFR and uh, T-bill rates, we also saw credit spreads rise precipitously when in two distinct periods. There was a spike in credit spreads starting late February into early March. Again, collateral indications, because if you have junk bonds that are losing their price, lose their, their, uh, their prices are falling far more than other bonds of better quality issue. That's an indication of not just fear, but also illiquidity in those marketplaces. And illiquidity in any kind of junk bond, euro bond, whatever it might be, that's the death knell in repo. Repo, party to, repo counterparties only care about the liquidity characteristics of the collateral they accept. So if you see junk bond, junk bond spreads blow out or euro bond spreads blow out as they had in February and March, and again, of course, June into July, that's also another collateral warning. So credit spreads rising, you've got T-bill rates falling, SOFR rates falling, collateral, 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 three C's right there. And that's what we saw in February, or excuse me, in September, up until uh, before late September, credit spreads, which had come way down in August and started rising again. They haven't spiked, but that's sort of the indications that we're getting over uh, the last couple of days that maybe we'll see a, a spike in credit spreads heading into October. And of course, there's all sorts of other things to consider too, as well as um, starting with the US dollars exchange value, what that tells us about everything, particularly against CNY and China. As we know from recent history in particular, Golden Week in China, the national holiday is coming up. That's always been a chaotic uh, period of time for various reasons. Don't have time to get into here. Maybe that's worth spending a video on. But there's an enormous amount of uncertainty. There's the all sorts of deflationary indications widespread throughout the US dollar system, not just you know, the currencies around the rest of the world, not just the gilt market or something like that. Here we are deep in the heart of the euro dollar looking at all sorts of things we don't want to see. And that has led to yesterday a dramatic decline in another part of the marketplace, inflation protection tips. Tips break evens are market based inflation expectations. And yesterday, the five-year tips break-even rate, which is the difference between the nominal uh, quote-unquote real yield on the tips and the same maturity U.S. Treasury nominal yield, the difference there is a measure of in the inflation expectation. Relatively speaking, you don't take it literally. Um, it's called an inflation break-even. The five-year break-even, which had skyrocketed up until March because of obvious reasons, oil prices in particular, because inflation break-evens, uh, tend to match oil prices relatively closely because oil is a key ingredient in CPIs. And as you recall, CPIs are the mechanism by which the government pays inflation protection into tips. But tips, tips break-evens, especially the five-year, uh, dropped to yesterday, it was, I think, 2.18, 2.17. 2 
which was the lowest since January of 2021. The 10 year break even fell too. And actually the five year break even fell lower than the 10 year break even for the first time since January 8th of 2021. So over a year and a half during this transitory inflationary period, as it's turning out, tips break evens have, especially in this year, followed closely along with these deflationary hurricanes. You saw a big drop in, in the middle of March, another big drop coincident to June and July, and now we see another big drop in inflation expectations, market-based inflation expectations in late September. And today even, I think they're down a couple basis points more, which suggests I think 215, 216, again, lowest since January of 2021. Even though oil prices haven't come down nearly as much as the break-evens have, all of which suggests the market is preparing for, as I said, transitory inflation to become a reality because it was never inflation. Now that we have outbreaks of deflationary money, one after another after another, not to mention growing warning signs across the global economy of not just recession, but perhaps the worst kinds of recession, not just in terms of the potential depth of it, but also potentially prolong, prolonging the recession. So lots of bad economic scenarios deflationary money, all sorts of negative warning signs in the euro dollar system. It adds up to possibly the third hurricane of this euro dollar season. That's probably not the right way to end it. But as I said in my last video a couple days ago, the euro dollar is behind everything, behind all of this, the spike in the US dollar exchange value, because it's not about the US dollar's exchange value. It's what's making the US dollar exchange value go up, which is this def these deflationary storms. The US dollar, the euro dollar, which is really the global reserve st standard, like the famous character Heisenberg from Breaking Bad. You think he's a mild-mannered middle school teacher, meek, mild, whatever, who's got terminal cancer, who's, his days are numbered, which may be true, but he is no mild, the euro dollar is no mild-mannered, uh, meek, um, whatever. Euro dollar is Heisenberg wreaking havoc behind the scenes. Not always behind the scenes. Sometimes we can detect his handiwork. And we see it right now vividly. Treasury bills, credit spreads, SOFR, SOFR, collateral. It's all right there again. So thank you for watching. Thank you as always to our members. Um, for those who are watching and are interested in some of the details behind these measures, these numbers, Go to Markets Insider Pro. Uh, much of this information is taken from either the daily briefings or the deep dives there. Those are now, uh, subscriptions are now available. They're on sale. They're two separate products. The daily briefing is a bundle you get with, obviously, my daily briefing, but also Stephen Van Meter's Momentum Timer Pro and Tracy Schuchart's weekly oil and gas report. And then the deep dives where we get into the really nitty gritty of the euro dollar system, some of the macro focus, that, uh, macro uh, consequences from it, that's available also through, Mac, uh, through uh, Markets Insider Pro. You can go there to find your way to the subscription. But those things are separate, as are memberships to Euro Dollar University. And I can't uh, thank our members enough. You'll see them at the end of the credits. And with that, take care. I'll see you again next time.